Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Northview Church Online. It is wonderful to be with you all today. We're kicking it off again this week with praise and worship. And our call to worship this week comes from Psalm 92. And it says, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. To proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. So Lord, we come to you this morning. We seek you to guide us. As we look to you this morning, help us to worship you in the spirit and in truth.
We're trying a new song this morning, church. It's called Good Grace. And this song's a little different. We're actually singing it over one another just as a beautiful word of encouragement to each other. So as we sing it over you at home, I invite you to call somebody to mind and just kind of pray for them through the Spirit as you sing the song over them and their spirit. But let's just encourage one another through the Spirit of the Lord this morning as we sing the song over each other. Children, clean hands, your hearts, good grace. 
Thank you, Esther and the team, for leading us in worship. We deeply appreciate that. We've got a really neat opportunity this morning. Last week, we heard from Scott and Noel Hardaway and what they're doing on the mission field. We have another mission field very close to us. It's over in Monroe. It's the five prison system there. And one of my beloved friends, John Burkhalter, is one of the chaplains up there and runs a ministry called Cascade Prison Ministry. It's a vibrant ministry. John is one of the most courageous and faithful men I know. And uh, we have a chance. I was supposed to be up in Canada, actually, speaking at a retreat this weekend. That got clobbered uh, because of the COVID-19 thing. But we wanted to have John be able to come and speak to Northview. Many of you know him. You know of the ministry. But I thought it'd be really worth hearing what's going on up there and what they're doing and uh, how the Lord is working. So we're going to invite John. So John, come up and share with us. Well, it's nice to be here at Northview today, and I want to thank you for uh, not only inviting me to come to speak to you, but also that uh, the support that you've given me for the many, many years that I've been on that hill, along with the ministry, which is Cascade Prison Ministry. And, and again, I'm I, I just uh, happy to be here and to be able to take you on this presentation of the tour of uh, what a prison looks like up there on the hill in Monroe, Washington. But one of the things that I want to do is uh, just basically kind of give you an idea of what you're going to be seeing and what's going on here uh, today. And, uh, you know, I, I had a, a very unusual experience yesterday. I worked with concrete, something I've never done in my life. But a friend of mine who grew up in a masonry family uh, uh, told me that he would help me put a patio or a working pad uh, next to my uh, shop and shed that's uh, in my backyard. And uh, what I thought was going to be a pretty easy job, uh, it turned into being a full-day job. And uh, anyone who works with concrete, and the reason I'm talking about concrete is because you're going to be seeing a lot of it, because that's what prisons are made out of. And that's what I look at uh, every day that I go onto that hill. But, uh, you know, we've got to go back about 6,500 years uh, B.C. to know when concrete was first discovered. And then uh, we go on up to the Romans, who utilized it for basically building everything that they built, including prisons. But uh, I worked with that, and uh, we had to move 58 bags of concrete, weighing 60 pounds apiece. And I uh, basically probably moved that stuff around four times apiece, which probably totaled around 10,000 pounds I worked with all day long. And believe me, last night I was spent. I was uh, exhausted, and uh, we got our uh, patio or pad done, and uh, it, it looked beautiful when we were all done. But uh, that was my experience yesterday, and here I am today sitting here at Northview preaching. And uh, I uh, just want you to understand that uh, prison ministries has been an absolute blessing for me. And uh, I would not be standing here today if it wasn't for your pastor, Steve Mitchells, who... Uh, uh, took a chance and invited me and my wife to a Christmas dessert at North Shore Baptist Church in 1983. And uh, about seven years later, our entire lives changed around as we became followers of Christ. But one of the things that I want you to understand as we go through this is that there's five prisons on that hill, and they all have their own culture. And there's about 2,500 men on that hill. And uh, what you need to understand is that from 1973 to 2013, the increase in the prison population increased by 700%. And 93% of that 700% were men. And I want you to understand that in the state of Washington, there's 18,500 people in prison here in the state of Washington. And 17,500 of them are men. There are only 1,000 women in, in the prison at Purdy and at one of the camps here in the state of Washington. And I just want to introduce you to a book that I think that all should read. Uh, I was a psychology major in college, along with a couple other majors, but the issue was was that uh, this is probably one of the best psychological books I've ever read in my life. It's written by Warren Farrell, and it's written by John Gray, and John Gray was the uh, author of uh, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. 
and uh, it's probably one of the best psychology books I've ever read in the in the in the sense that it's giving you the studies and it's giving you the reason why boys are being locked up in prison, why boys are suffering from ADHD, why boys are suffering from depression, why six boys to one girl are committing suicide in this nation today, and why many, many more boys go on drugs and alcohol and suffer from those types of things. Now, when we talk about prison, I want you to understand that 80% of the people in prison, and includes the women, grew up in, in houses without fathers. 80%. And what I also want you to understand is that the, all the people that are in prison, 80% are in prison because of drug and alcohol-related crimes. So that kind of tells you is where our problem is at. But as I go through this, I call my message, Finding Hope in the Wasteland of Prisons. And why do I call it the Wastelands? Well, it's funny, because right now I'm finishing up Exodus and Numbers in the Bible. And God sent the Israelites out into the wilderness, a wasteland. And to me, to sit here and think that people are spending their lives and their time in a prison, it breaks my heart. And when I sit here and I look at this, to me it is a wasteland. But it's a wasteland where a man and a woman has time to think. They have time to read. They can turn their lives around if they want to, and that's the hope that I find in prison. In Psalms 1, God put it like this. He said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so but are like the shaft which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now what you're going to find is that there's about 2% of human beings in the United States prisons out of the entire population of 330 million people. In other words, 98% of people never go to prison. And this is really hard for a lot of these guys to understand who are in prison. Why? Because if you'll ask an inmate how many people go to prison, they'll give you anywhere from between 30 and 50% of Americans end up in jail or prison. And of course, I have a lot of fun with that when they find the reality that 98% of people in this country will never even see the walls of a prison or a jail. What I'm going to take you to now is a tour, and I want to take you to an aerial shot of uh, the Monroe Correctional Complex. And what I want you to know is there's five prisons up there. Twin Rivers Unit, it was built in uh, 1983, and uh, it is the sex offender unit. It's where sex offender treatment takes place. And I want you to understand that in the state of Washington, the sex offender treatment uh, program literally has a 98% success rate. In other words, these men who are going through that, and it's a voluntary basis, they will come through that program and most likely never commit another sex crime as long as they live. The other prison that's up there is the Reformatory. The Reformatory was built in 1910. It is one of the oldest prisons in in Washington State, and uh, it was called the Reformatory because they were supposed to reform their behavior. And uh, it houses around probably 800 people. Then we go on over to the minimum security uh, uh, prison, which is for people or men who have less than four years left on their sentence. And they are allowed to work at jobs where they actually get to leave prison, come back at the end of the day, and and basically they're being housed there, uh, getting prepared to go back out into society. The other uh, prison that was uh, built in 1980 and signed into law by Dixie Lee Ray was uh, um, uh, the Special Offender Unit. And one of the things you need to understand that 50% of all inmates in prison are on some kind of uh, medication for psychological reasons. 
And uh, the the mental illness rate amongst prison is, is so high that they literally had to build a separate prison for the most mentally ill that are there. And uh, it houses around 350 men. And then uh, finally, we have uh, the prison that was built approximately 10 years ago, and that is the intensive management unit, which is called the IMU. And the IMU basically is housing some of the worst prisoners that we have in the state of Washington. They're constantly in trouble. They're constantly getting into fights. They're constantly breaking the rules. And by putting them in solitary confinement, the the goal is that they're going to change their ways. Now, personally, I work in three of those prisons. I work with the sex offenders the most. I work uh, in uh, the IMU. I actually have two Bible studies in the IMU, and it's been one of the greatest blessings in my my life, and I have been doing it now for seven years. And uh, the program is very successful. I always have a full class. I have a waiting list of men trying to get into it, and we have a ball in there. And uh, a lot of the men that have gone through that uh, program, I see them at uh, several of the other institutions, and they stick with my Bible studies, and they continue to go to Bible studies, which is a wonderful thing. The other place that I spend most of my time is the special offender unit, working with the mentally ill. And uh, to me, it's been one of the greatest blessings in my life to be able to work with those men. And... uh, the compassion that you develop for the mentally ill is just unbelievable. And does it take patience? Yes, it takes patience. And uh, I'm not really a patient person. Uh, but uh, when I'm in that setting, I, uh, I am uh, uh, humbled to know that these men are seeking God. And uh, believe me, they take it serious. Now, finally, we're going to start going into the prison here. And I want you to know that uh, be careful of what you Asked for in your walk with the Lord. Uh, in 1995, I started taking the Bible seriously. I started uh, basically studying like I should study. Um, and uh, I was taking my Christianity in sincerity. And I did, was 41 years old when I came to the Lord. And the point I'm making is that uh, that was in 1991. And within four years, I made a, a vow that uh, any door that I would uh, open or the, that God would open for me, uh, I'd walk through. Now, little did I know that every door I was going to walk through was going to slam shut behind me and lock. And uh, those are the doors that I walk through on a daily basis on that hill. And they're noisy and they're scary. And uh, it's, a, it's a very, very strange feeling to be walking through something knowing that you can't get through that three-inch steel door. So this first slide, moving from the, uh, the aerial shot is one of the doors that you would go through at the reformatory. And it's solid steel. And uh, believe me, you're not going to get it open if you want to get out and they don't want you out. The next uh, scene is uh, basically main control. Now, main control, believe it or not, is controlling all the doors inside that prison. In other words, the doors that are being controlled are the ones they can open electrically or they can be opened manually. But the issue is, is they are controlling the prison from this one booth. And it's usually got two people working in it. And, um, and they control everything. You, if you, they don't want you getting into that prison, you're not getting in. And if they don't, you want to get out of that prison, they don't want you out, you're not getting out. And those are your next two slides. Now, finally, as you go through these two big old doors, the gate and, and, and the solid steel door, now you're walking down this quarter. And this quarter is a long quarter starting to move out into uh, 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 the main uh, uh, part of the prison. And uh, you're going to walk by what's called the IK. Now, the IK is the inmate kitchen. And this is where the men eat. It's the cafeteria. And what you're going to see is lots of tables bolted to the floor that have seats that are welded to the table. And basically, so nothing can uh, uh, turn into a riot-type situation because of things. They eat with uh, what are called spores, which is a half spoon, half fork, and they're made out of very soft plastic, and they're a pain in the neck to eat with, but that's what they use. And uh, this is where a lot of problems have happened, is in IKs or in the kitchen area with fights and things like that. And this is also where all their food is cooked. And, uh, and that's what you're going to be walking by as you go down this long quarter out to uh, 
the outside uh, of the prison. Now, as we go into the prison, uh, you're going to see a big tower. And this tower is sitting here looking uh, uh, over uh, uh, the baseball field and the football field and everywhere where they're outside. And then uh, it's also overlooking the chapel and the PAB or the public uh, uh, access building. And uh, it is basically where the inmates go out to play or get uh, baseball or they are involved with other type of activities such as weightlifting and whatever. And another thing that you're going to be seeing is lots of razor wire. This entire institution, I don't care whether you're at the Special Offender or Twin Rivers or whatever, it is surrounded by razor wire, and you're not going to get out of this prison uh, uh, by trying to go climb over the fence. I will guarantee you that. So anyway, this is basically what this prison looks like. And then you're going to go through another gate that's locked and controlled by main control. And uh, that a buzzer will go off, and you'll walk through that. And as you walk through, you're going to see all these buildings in the back, and it was the industrial area. Now, the industrial area doesn't exist anymore. In fact, the industrial area uh, has all moved over to Twin Rivers because we had these big, large buildings that were built for business and working. And uh, this is where the clothes are washed. This is where commissary is. This is where things are distributed, and they they take care of basically the whole hill with uh, laundry and this type of stuff. Now, this provides jobs for the inmates so that they can make a little bit of money. Now, understand that an inmate makes 42 cents an hour. Okay, yes, that's below minimum wage. But they also get free room and board. So that's uh, one of the things that they compensate uh, that 42 cents an hour, which basically gives them $55 a month. So what you're going to see is the industrial area. And then as you're walking down that area, uh, looking at the, uh, uh, the baseball field and whatever, off to your left is what's called the chapel and the PAB. Now, the chapel is a beautiful chapel, as you can see. It seats around 200 men. And in that chapel, what you have is, is uh, it was built in the 1970s by all the churches here in Snohomish County. And they pitched in the money to build this beautiful brick chapel. And uh, this chapel has served uh, uh, these men for over 40 years now. So uh, it was a nice donation by the community uh, of Christians who wanted these men to hear the gospel and to uh, have a chance to worship. Now, as you sit here and you go through this next gate, uh, you're going to be looking at an old, old building, again, which was Industries, and uh, it's not being used for much of anything at this point in history, but I'm sure they'll find a use for it for something. And then you're going to be looking at the wall, and you're going to be looking at one of the lookout towers that's on that wall. And I want you to understand that uh, every man that is in that guard tower is uh, supplied with an M16 uh, semi-automatic weapon. Uh, they have rubber bullets and they have real bullets. And their job is to make sure that no one gets over that wall. Their job is also to make sure that if there is a riot out in, in the uh, outer area or in the baseball field, that uh, basically they will be able to shoot into that crowd and, and, and stop the, it in any way that they have to. Now, there haven't been a lot of riots at the, at the reformatory, but there's been some, and they can get very violent and very deadly. And uh, uh, these are one of the things that uh, custody officers put up with uh, on a daily basis, not knowing what's going to happen a lot of times. Now, we're going to go down this long hallway, and what you're going to see is cells... And this is the segregation area at the WSR, at the reformatory. Now, I told you about 10 years ago they built the IMU. That replaced this segregation area. And again, uh, the IMU is the intensive management unit, and this is what this was used at uh, WSR. And uh, believe me, this is not a place you want to be in. It's noisy, and uh, it, it is not comfortable. And you'll see why as we go to the next slide and we look at the cell that is there for these men. The cell is complete concrete. The bed is concrete. You have a two-inch foam mattress that you sleep on, and you have a, a little tiny pillow that's made out of foam rubber, and that is your pillow. 
and they'll give you appropriate amount of blankets depending on the year, time of year uh, to keep you warm. But this cell is uh, nine, nine feet by six feet. And, uh, and it is made for one man only. And this is why they call it solitary confinement. So we're going to go through another gate and we're going to go through some more, uh, uh razor wire and, and, um, uh, cyclone fencing. And now we're going to move on into the tiers of, uh, WSR. Now, basically the tiers in WSR, they're three stories high. Now, they had to build literally railings all around them because too many men were committing suicide by jumping off of these tiers. So now they've got it blocked so that uh, they cannot jump off. But these tiers, you'll see that the cells are bars and they're open, but all of these cells now are single-celled men. In other words, uh, they don't have cellies anymore. And uh, that's been a good thing. It reduced the size of, of the prison. And as you look at these tiers... Uh, you can see there's not a lot of privacy. And inside these tiers, you're, again, you're going to see that these bunks in this particular uh, area are made out of steel. You have a two-inch foam rubber mattress and, again, the little pillow. You have a uh, toilet inside of the cell, and you have a wash basin, and you have some storage area. Now, these were set up for two men, but uh, we're not putting two men in the single cells anymore because it's just too small of an area for two men to be living. But uh, anyone who thinks that uh, these guys are on vacation, you're sadly mistaken. And uh, it's, it's one of the things that, that when you're in corrections, you learn quickly that you know going to prison is the punishment. To be segregated from society is the punishment. Making their lives a living hell is not part of the equation. And uh, the thing is, is that... Uh, uh, I go in there to do programs, positive things, so that these men can change their lives and understand what transformation looks like. Probably one of the most influential uh, uh, scriptures I ever read was in the book of Ezekiel. And as I was reading through the Old Testament and came across Ezekiel chapter 18, uh, it just opened my eyes to what kind of God we live with and who created us. And, and, and this is what he says in Ezekiel 18, 20, 23. He says, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Now what's interesting about Ezekiel, it also quotes in there, That the man who was good and then decides he wants to become evil and do the same things that the evil man does, all that good that he did will be forgotten and he will die. So the issue is it's about finishing that race. It's about changing your life and transforming into the man that God wants you to be. And I get constantly when I do uh, uh, this presentation at other churches is, do you really believe these men can change? I go, yeah. I know they can change. I, I, I've seen it over and over again. I had a fellow, because of my weightlifting background, he and I built up a rapport. Uh, he's in for murder. He'd already done 35 years in prison. At the age of 19, he did something really stupid, and he's paid for it ever since. He became a Satanist and worked with one of the largest gangs in the, in the country And um, while he was in prison. And... Uh, this is not somebody you want to mess with. He's about six foot five and 270 pounds, and he's very powerful. And, uh, you know, I, he started coming to my Bible studies, and he started asking some really, really great questions. And I was like, well, this is interesting, you know. And uh, anyway, we started to build up a rapport. And about two years after coming to my Bible studies, uh, he came to the Lord. And today he's in Bible studies, he's in Tumi, which is an outside class that comes in as a seminary level, and uh, getting A's in that class, and uh, 
this isn't the same man that went to prison at the age of 19, and now he's 50 years old, and uh, he's changed dramatically. And I'm just so proud to have been part of that trans- transformation, and I continue to be. And uh, it's, it's, those are the things that you've got to look at. So we're looking at Ezekiel, and at the next slide, you're going to see a man sitting in his cell reading his Bible. And if you think that these guys don't know their Bible, I got news for you. They got plenty of time to study. They got plenty of time to read. And if you don't know your stuff, they will eat you for lunch in those Bible studies. So you better go in there prepared if you ever want to work with inmates who are serious about their Christian faith. The next slide is also the same man reading his Bible. And uh, a lot of times they look for solitude so they can do this. But one of the things that we started up on the prison was called family worship. We started family worship about 16 years ago, and we started at the Twin Rivers unit, which was has a different kind of culture in the sense that uh, these men, uh, we have a pretty large Christian body at Twin Rivers, and uh, we started family worship, which meant that their loved ones, their friends, uh, their children could come and worship with them in a regular church service that we put on. Uh, my worship team is inmates who are very talented musicians and, and love the Lord. And uh, it, we usually have a packed house at uh, Twin Rivers uh, on the days that we have family worship. We usually draw around 120 to 140 people. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a large crowd for a prison uh, a visiting room. And uh, we're the only prison in the United States who does this. And uh, it, believe me, it has been an absolute blessing to see these men come back with their families, to see fathers reunited with their sons, uh, to see them with their children, and uh, just see how positive it is. And the next slide is uh, basically a couple that I ran into because of family worship and because at Twin Rivers. And the young fellow on the left there, his name is Lawrence. Now, when you understand the backgrounds of some of these people in prison and understand the fatherlessness that goes on in that prison and uh, some of the uh, dysfunctionalism that these people grow up in, you kind of understand where they are, where they're at. Lawrence had to become, he was the 39th child of 41 that his father brought into this world and had absolutely no relationship with. And uh, he was on the streets by the time he was about 10 years, 11 years old, and uh, working with the gangs. And uh, the young blonde lady with him is his wife, Jessica. And Jessica was on the streets by the time she was 12. Her mother was 15 when she had her and didn't want her. And basically, they fought like cats and dogs, and she ran away from home. And luckily, she ran into Lawrence. Now, I say luckily, they were like Bonnie and Clyde, but the issue was was that uh, she never went to prison, nor do I think she should have, but the point is, is that he did. And while he was in prison, he came to the Lord because he had this idea that if he were to die, he would go to hell. And uh, he started going to Christian things, and uh, all of a sudden, he became a Christian, and uh, and uh, and they wanted me to baptize him at family worship. So we couldn't get a baptismal in there, and all you Baptists out there that think you have to be immersed, you don't, because the Anabaptists, and we come from an Anabaptist movement, the first baptism was a pouring, where we pour the water over their heads. That was Blaylock. He was the first uh, uh, Catholic convert to Anabaptist to be baptized by the Anabaptists. And I said, if it's good enough for the Anabaptists, it's good enough for us in the prison. So this was their baptism. And as I poured the water over Jessica and Lawrence, it was probably one of the greatest moments of my life. And uh, as you see them smiling down here in this last slide of them, it's one of those that I will cherish for the rest of my life. Lawrence finally was released from prison. Understand that 98% of all people in prison are going to be released to the the streets at some point. And uh, how do we want them to come out of prison? Well, I want them to come out as Christians. I want them to come out as people who who want to serve the Lord. And that smile on Jessica's face, knowing the life that she had and the way she grew up, uh, it just warms my heart every time I look at that. Now, today they're out. They're living here in this area. Uh, They have three little boys, and 
uh, and uh, they're very happy. In fact, I just ran into Lawrence the other day at Lowe's and got a big hug from him. I know we should have been arrested, but we weren't because of the COVID thing. But the issue was is that it was just nice seeing him and hearing about Jessica and how well they're doing. So it was a good thing. But as I come to Second Peter, Second Peter puts it this way, and Peter is uh, he minces no words in his letters. He says, "So make every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life." then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. A life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better. Knowing God leads to self-control. Self-control leads to patient endurance. And patient endurance leads to godliness. Godliness leads to love for other Christians. And finally, you will grow to have a genuine love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more you will become productive, and useful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if I fit all of those, but the point is is that my life has transformed tremendously in the last uh, 20-some years of being a Christian. And believe me, working in that prison has been an absolute blessing for me. And uh, like I said, uh, to work up there full time and have this ministry and to be able to dedicate my life to, to what I'm doing and also to have a volunteer base of 15 men that go in with me and help me across that hill has, has been nothing of anything that I even would have thought of. Uh, I did not come into this world thinking this is what I'd be doing for the rest of my life. But as I said before, I just turned 70. I have five more years I'm going to dedicate to this. And uh, and uh, uh, I hope that they'll be beneficial for all those men that I work with. I work with 200 to 300 men a week. And uh, the Bible studies are full. The classes are full. And uh, it, it's just an absolute blessing to be able to do this. Now, if you're skeptical about can men change, I'll take you to Luke chapter 23. And it says, a signboard was nailed to the cross above him with these words. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too. While you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you are dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Thank you. And uh, thank you for letting me present today. Have a great day. Yeah.
Father, may our worship and our lives be acceptable before you. Let the peace that surpasses all understanding be with us as we close out today. Help us to make a difference in the world as we approach this new week and help our words and actions align with your word. We give thanks for John and his ministry and we ask that you bless him and his work abundantly. Lord, help us never forget that you are with us always. In Jesus' name, we believe and pray all of these things and you at home say, amen. At the end of John's presentation, he often does a question and answer period, and we aren't able to do that. So uh, we're going to do the same thing we did last week with another Zoom call. And again, just like last week with the Hardaways, you have, were sent the uh, code into eNews. And uh, again, you can see it's front desk at nview.org. And um, if you did not get that and want to participate in the, the Zoom conference, and uh, we're going to just have John on. And again, Rob will moderate, and we'll do it exactly like last week. So if you would like to know more about the prison ministry, if you would like to know more about how to support John and Rita, if you'd like to know what goes on up there, uh, then join the Zoom conference, and we'll be in on that together. So prayer points for this week. There's some critical ones. Let's first of all pray for John and Rita uh, with the prisons being closed and not having access. It's not like other things where like they can just zoom whenever they want to that sort of thing so let's pray for wisdom for them as they continue to try to minister to the population within the prison number two let's pray for the people in the prison themselves both the prisoners and the guards uh fair amount of tension uh you can imagine the fear of covid19 going around and that sort of thing and so let's pray that god would grant peace to the prisons number three let's pray for the investment that John and Rita have uh, put into and the Cascade Prison Ministry team that they have invested in these guys. Let's pray that right now it bears fruit. Now is the time for that to really show its reality. And we, we want to uh, ask God that what they discipled into these guys will actually bear fruit and many of the prisoners will get led to the Lord. And then the last one would be, uh, as you know, they're talking, uh, the government, uh, governor and the government are talking about releasing prisoners. A lot of these guys are ready. A lot of these guys have come to faith. But starting over, coming out, is a frightening proposition. Uh, They don't have all the access. And with COVID-19, their options are limited even more. Let's pray for God to be gracious to those guys who are trying to serve him, trying to love him, and that God will give them a way through this entire pandemic, just like we're trying to make our way, that he would provide ways for them as well. Again, praying for John and Reed and their team for wisdom, how to coach these guys and help them. All right, so there's your prayer request for the week. We'll see you next week. We'll be doing communion next week together. And uh, we're starting a new series in the Psalms called Truth Versus Lies, and it should be really good. So see you next Sunday.